real people in real congregations having real problems. Differing levels of maturity, differing needs are reflected in the letters of the New Testament. You find congregations that really struggle at times because they need to know the truth. They need to know who Jesus is. They need to know about his body, the church. And they need to have an appreciation of what kind of life a person ought to live. When you and I read and study the letters that are written by Paul to churches and individuals, we recognize that there's so much for us to learn. Yes, we are each different in our own ways. Each of us are struggling with different problems in our own lives. But we still need to know who Jesus is. We need to know what he did for us. And we need to know how we ought to live in our daily lives. This morning, I'd like to begin our lesson of the study of the book of Colossians with the asking of a question. What is the plan for your life? I want you to think for just a moment about what you have thought about. Do you have general goals that you want to achieve? That is, are there things that you have said somewhere along in life, this is where I want to be, this is where I want to go. I want to go to heaven. I want to have a Christian family. I want to be a faithful child of God. Are there specific benchmarks in your life? For instance, have you somewhere along in your life decided that by the time I'm 30 years old, I want to be able to accomplish this or have accomplished this. Or when I reach 40, or when I reach 50, or when I reach 60, or 70. Are there specific things in your life to which you can say, now this is a goal that I have and a plan for my life. Or... You just take each day that comes with no plan whatsoever. Now, I've got to say that so many people I talk to will say, the reality is I just take things as they come. Now, I want to ask another question. Do you believe that God has a plan for all creation? Do you believe that he did like the deist believe that God just created this world and just turned it loose and let it go? Let's see what it becomes. Let's see where man ends. Let's see if man will blow himself up, how man will turn out. So thankful that Brother Dale read this morning from Isaiah 45. The Lord created this world to be inhabited. God has a plan. Do you believe that God has plans for you? You see, as I look at my life and I begin to say, this is what I want to accomplish, these are the benchmarks that I have, these are the things that I want to do, do you believe that God has a plan for you? Sometimes our illustrations are from things that are just perhaps meaningful in our lives. 
there was a television show that used to come on a few years ago called The A-Team. I really enjoyed it because at the end of the show, uh, Colonel Smith would always say, I love it when a plan comes together. There's always a time when it seemed like everything just sort of fit together. Everything that had been organized all came to pass. Do you realize that as we study the book of Colossians, particularly the last part of chapter 1, there's a plan of God that has come together, and Paul is trying to get the Colossians to see God organized this. God planned this. So we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at, first of all, reconciliation. That was a part of God's plan. Responsibility. That also is a part of God's plan. It wasn't just you have rights. It wasn't just you have blessings, but you have some responsibilities as well. And then finally, the revelation. That is God letting us know about his plan and how he wants it to come together. Let's begin, first of all, by looking at verses 19 through 22. Paul said in verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Him there is Jesus. In Jesus, according to Colossians 2.9, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It's in him that all this takes place. And he says, And by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. The theme of reconciliation is one that is extremely important in the New Testament, particularly to the Apostle Paul. In fact, this morning as we go to our Bible classes, I'll be teaching downstairs from the book of 2 Corinthians. It just so happens this morning we're going to be studying from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And it just so happens that the theme there is that of reconciliation. I'd like to just for a moment or two just make you aware of a few things. For instance, Romans 5, verses 10 and 11. Notice some of the similarities that he will use. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. I really would just like to unpack that passage right there where you talk about who we were, there being, our being enemies, talking about his death, talking about his life, talking about what all God accomplished through him. But just notice that key word, reconcile. If you go to 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 and 19, he says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, 
not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Paul is trying to focus the Corinthians, just like he is the Colossians, on the fact that God has used Jesus to reconcile us, and he also is emphasizing the revelation. Let me give you another passage. Ephesians 2 and verse 16. Paul writes that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting, or thereby putting to death the enmity. The enmity is that hostile feeling. And he's talking about the Jew and the Gentile, how that he made them one together. You see, the primary emphasis on reconciliation in the Bible is the fact that there is God in heaven and we're here on earth and we have been brought together. There is also an emphasis in the Bible, particularly in the books of Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, where God took the Jew on the one side and the Gentile on the other side and he brought them together. He reconciled them. Now, what this implies... In other words, if you start, you put down on the paper, reconciliation, you say, now what does that mean? What does that involve? Number one, it involves that we were once together. If you say R-E, those first two letters there, that means to do it again, to reconcile. You once were together, you've been separated, now you're brought back together. Number two, it means that we have become estranged, that is, separated what is it that separated us from God? Number three, it means that we are back together again. Because if you have a reconciliation, you have people who are back together. For instance, a husband and a wife. It's so sad when husbands and wives have problems, but that's a reality of life. Occasionally these problems become so severe that a husband and a wife will become at such odds with one another that they separate from one another. And that is a tremendous tragedy. But occasionally, they come to their senses. They resolve their problems. They come back together and they are reconciled. I want you to notice some key points in this text. In verse 20, he made peace through the blood of the cross. There was this hostility, if you will, and he's describing, and there, there has been made peace. Notice with me verse 21. He said, you were alienated. Again, using the husband and wife figure. Sometimes there's an alienation of affection. That is, some person is no longer close. He said, you were alienated. You were like strangers and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Now, I have to ask the question, what created this situation of hostility between man and God? Why is it that God needs to reconcile man to himself? Well, let's look at Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. What do I understand? It's my sins. That's really what creates the conflict between us and God. 
God has a law. If I violate that law, according to 1 John 3, 4, sin is a transgression of that law. When I sin, then I have made God hostile toward me. Listen to James 4, verse 4, written to Christians. He said, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world has made himself or makes himself an enemy of God. You see, what we're looking at is God, and we're saying to him, I choose the world rather than choosing you. That's exactly the same way in a relationship between a husband and a wife, where the wife or the husband says, you know what, I don't love you anymore, I love this one over here. That's really what creates the hostility. Because we do not love God, we do not serve God like we ought to. What did it take to create peace? What did it take to bring about this reconciliation? Well, number one, you read in Romans 5, 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have got someone who has sat down with both of us and said, okay, let's see what we can do to resolve this. If it is sin that separates us from God, and it is, Roman, or it's Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, then the problem between us and God is sin. And Jesus is the one who was able to take our sins and see that they were forgiven Removing the barrier between us and God. That same sort of barrier also removed the barrier between Jew and Gentile. He said in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 14 and 15, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. You know, sometimes I don't think we really appreciate the struggle that existed between a Jew and a Gentile. There were such two vastly different historical backgrounds. You have a physical lineage, but more than that physical lineage, you had a mentality that says, we're better than you are. You know, many of us look at our country and we look at the problems that exist. We see Democrats, we see Republicans, we see people can't get along, we see people fussing and fighting. Oh, that's nothing compared to the distinction between Jew and Gentile. But God's idea was, I want to bring Jew, I want to bring Gentile all into this one body, and I want to create peace not only in heaven between heaven and man, but I want to create peace between man and man here on earth. I want everyone to be reconciled. Now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, that is, Jesus provided that forgiveness. Now, you might think that with all of that done, that we have now enjoyed this reconciliation, and what are we going to do with it? 
There is a responsibility that goes along with it. Notice with me verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. He said, what you have to look at is what your life is going to become. A man must take responsibility for remaining reconciled. Let's again use the husband and the wife illustration. Here's a man and here's a wife. And they have a problem that has arisen between the two of them. Just any problem. Someone comes along and says... You two can work it out. You two can find common ground. Let's see if we can bring the two of you together here. And the person works it out. Now the husband and the wife walk away. Do they have a responsibility to try to maintain that reconciliation? Well, sure they do. Each of us became a Christian who are Christians. And when we were buried in that water for the remission of sins, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, all those sins were washed away, Acts 22 and verse 16, we are now a Christian. Now what? I have got to continue to live a life pleasing to God. I've got to maintain that relationship. And that's my responsibility. I know there's a lot of people today who want to think, oh, you don't have any responsibility in it. You do. To continue in the faith. That means I've got to continue walking in that same light. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Grounded and steadfast. Two very important thoughts. Grounded. You know, sometimes you have people who come and you say, I don't know if they're going to make it or not. They don't really have a good grounding. In fact, they don't have their roots set deep. Steadfast indicates this idea of continuing on day after day, week after week, in the face of challenges and difficulties. You know what I see? There's a lot of people who, when difficulties come, are like the seed that was sown on the rocky soil. doesn't have any depth. And when persecutions and temptations come, it dries up. Then he says, not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Why is it that people sometimes give up and give in? It's because they do not look forward to heaven and eternity. What's going to happen five years, ten years? Now we talked about goals and plans. You look at your life. And consider, one of the things I thought yesterday, they were talking about the meteor that passed by 
there will be another one about just like it or maybe the same one that would pass by in about 36 years. Immediately in my mind, will I be here in 36 years? Probably not. Probably won't see any. Some of you younger ones probably will, though. You think about life and the hope that you have. Is all the hope that you have is in this life? Paul says, if it is, then you're of all men most miserable. In fact, to be pitied. If that's all that you have to live for. You see, I don't want to be moved away from that hope of eternity, the hope of heaven. He says, which I, Paul, a minister, preached to everybody. Listen to Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith that you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. What he's trying to impress upon each of us is, now you become a Christian, put your roots down. Become solid. Become the kind of people who will be established in it. What's going to happen in the ten years? Will the congregation at Bobby Branch be here? Will it be strong? Will it be thriving? Will it be growing? Well, it's up to who if it does that. Us. That's our responsibility. See, sometimes we don't want to own the responsibility to say it's my job to do this. Number three is the revelation. Notice with me verses 24 through verse 29. Paul says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from which God was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations has now been revealed to his saints. To them God will to make known what are the riches of his glory, the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end... I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Now, I want you to observe a couple things. God has revealed this plan to man. I wouldn't know unless God had given me insight into this mystery, how he's worked it all in various ways to bring it about. I'm thankful that I learned about the apostles and the job which God gave to each of them to do. 
I'm thankful that the Apostle Paul explained, particularly in some places like Romans chapter 10 and 11, how it is that God worked Jew and Gentile, and because of that he was able to bring about the salvation of both Jew and Gentile, used one to provoke the other, made jealous of the other. Wow, such a wonderful way that Paul would say, oh, the depths of the wisdom, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his ways and their past tracing or finding out. Romans chapter 11. It was Paul's assigned stewardship to reveal the mystery. The word stewardship indicates a person who has been charged with a specific task. How well are you going to do your job? How well are you going to do your task? Paul said, I was given the task of revealing this message. Look at verse 25. The stewardship from God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. God gave me this job and I'm going to do it. Look at verse 26. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations but now has been revealed to his saints. Those of us who are Christians, we've got that book called the Bible, and it tells us all about it. Look at verse 27. To them God will to make known what are the riches of his glory. God wanted you to know how he worked it out. How that Jesus left heaven, Philippians 2, beginning with verse 4, going through verse 11, how he left heaven, left the glories of it, humbled himself to become obedient to death on the cross. Wow. The more I know about how God's plan comes together, the greater appreciation I have for him. Well, what is the focus or the content of this revelation? I've got to look at this passage and see. And he says in the latter part of verse 27, here's what it is. This is the theme of the book of Colossians, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. Paul would say in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He controls my life. Occasionally I see people wearing a little bracelet on one of their arms that says, What would Jesus do? WWJD. That is an important question to ask. I'm not saying that the bracelets or the things are in that important. The concept is, because really I ought to ask, what would the Lord have me to do in my life? And you say, well, I, I don't know. Guess what he would want me to do? That's what revelation is all about. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires out of you. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. He says, Him we preach. You preach Christ and Him crucified. Acts chapter 8, Philip went down to Samaria. What did he do? He preached Jesus to them. He preached Christ to them. 
You see, I have a goal. I have a role model that I can follow. But someone would say, well, what do you know about Jesus? You don't get it from a picture in the front of your Bible. You don't even get it from a picture on a screen. You get it from reading the words of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Acts chapter 1. It's all about Jesus, what He did for us, and how He works in us. Paul said in verse 29, To this end I also labor and strive according to His working which works in me mightily. You see, if I'll pick up that Bible and I'll read it and I'll follow it and I'll do what He did and I'll live how He lived and I will try my best to be everything the Lord wants me to be, then I can see that working mightily in me just like it did in Him. Did God have a plan? Absolutely. It's revealed to us through His Word. Does God have a plan for you? Not just me standing up here speaking, you as a congregation. Yes, He's got one for the congregation. But what about you individually? You personally. Me personally. And again, the answer is absolutely. 2 Peter 3, 9 the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Now listen, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. When God looks over His creation, He looks even to the individual person and He says, I want every one saved. Listen to Hebrews 2 and verse 9. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste of death for everyone. Did Jesus die for me? Yes. Did Jesus die for you? Yes. But I want you to notice, and we're going to end with verse 28. This is such a powerful verse. Him we preach. Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. What's the goal? What's the desire? What's, what's the plan, if you will? Paul says, I preach that gospel among heaven, under heaven among all men. And he says, what we're doing, we're going after every man. Man there's not just males. That's males, females, men and women, boys and girls. God wants everyone to be saved. How are you going to do it? You've got to warn every man. You've got to teach every man. And you've got to present every man. This morning, this lesson... Reveal to you God's wishes, His plans, and His desires. And if you're not a Christian, you're not ready for eternity. You have not yet been reconciled to God.
But you can enjoy that privilege. It's not something that just one person has for themselves. It's offered to everyone. And if you are willing to obey the Lord by believing in Jesus, repenting of your sins, confessing His faith, and being baptized, the Lord will add you to His body, the church. We want to encourage you to do that this morning. And if you are a Christian and you have not lived up to your responsibility to be faithful and true to the Lord, we want to encourage you to make things right this morning as together we stand and sing.